All right. Good morning. It's great. Thank you for being here. There's just a few things I want to hit before we jump into our message for today. And the first one is to let you know uh, the town family had an addition to our family this week. And so um, we're going to put a picture up here. It's, it's, isn't, isn't he beautiful? <laughs> oh, man. Tom and Kelsey had Duke William Severson um, this last Tuesday. Uh, note the William. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Duke's doing great. Seven pounds, two ounces. Uh, Mom's doing great. Uh, I, we, Kathy and I now have um, eight grandchildren. Four boys and four girls. Yeah, crazy. I was going to make a joke. Say I have eight. Kathy has 14. But I, um, yeah, I, I blew it anyway. I said it. Um, not true. But uh, yeah, I don't know how long he was. So let's say uh, 36 inches. Okay, so there you go. I think that's long. Um, anyway, yeah, really fun. Thank you. Um, I mean, I love that. Um, I want to let you know a couple things. Number one is, uh, do you know that Rolling Hills Community Church this year was awarded Service Organization of the Year for the city of Tualatin? And so here you go. This is yours. Um, that is, it is uh, really cool. It is not why we serve our community to get rewards or awards. Um, it is not why we serve our community. We don't serve our community and wear Rolling Hills Community Church shirts in order to be noticed. Um, we serve our community to make a difference and because uh, the love of God and the care of God in our own life is transformative and we want to share that, um, that love with others. And, uh, but what is significant to me is that I think when the love of God is seen, uh, even in this day and age, uh, it looks special. And, um, and so the city of Tualatin has been so thankful for what's going on here and how we're stepping into real practical needs in our community and trying to minister to the whole person and the well-being of the whole person. And, um, and, they're, just, and they're grateful. And, and Tualatin is a place that if, if we ever have problems with the county or different things, at Tualatin, the, the city officials are, will, be, will be the first in line to go to bat for us because they, um, uh, they know we care for people. And um, we're making a difference. And so praise God for, for that. So th I just want you guys to be aware of that. <clears throat> um, so here's the deal. On Sunday morning, I try to tell you stuff like this. Uh, but, but the truth is, there's just no way I can cover all the incredible things that are going on that you would be interested in. I mean, there, I, I can guarantee you there are... Um, significant things going on in the life and through the life of this church that would be so inspiring to you and you don't know about them. And so the, really one of the purposes for next Sunday at four o'clock, our Rolling Hills family gathering, is uh, to try to get you up to speed on stuff that as a, as a family member of Rolling Hills, you should know about and you would care about. Um, also let you know, okay, here's where we're going. Next three to five years, here's, 
here's what we feel like God is leading us towards and here's how we're going after it. And then just knowing how can you pray and how can you engage in those efforts. Um, we'll give you some um, updates on staff that um, you may or may not know about, but uh, that are important. And we'll give you updates on um, the search, which has begun. The, the search has begun. We've been talking about it forever, but now we're in the process of beginning the search. And so we'll tell you what that looks like, what the process looks like um, as well. And so here's my ask of you. Right now, as I start talking about this, majority probably thinking, oh, that's interesting. I won't be there. Um, and so I just want to challenge that. Uh, we, we, we do these things rarely. And so this is a special opportunity to um, know what's going on in your faith family in a way that you won't know if you're just coming on Sundays. And, um, and we want to invite you in to not only be armed with good information, but also be able to answer your questions and, um, and so that we can be united in our prayer. We know what's going on and we know as a faith family um, how to pray and how to engage. And so here's the challenge, make it a priority. You know, something that you normally wouldn't do, but we normally don't do this. And so we think we have some things that are important to share. And so next week, four o'clock, if you have young children, we have childcare from age two through fifth grade. All right. You need to register. So go online and register and let us know, um, uh, how many children and their ages, and we will make sure we have um, the appropriate uh, staff there to, uh, to manage the kids. Um, not manage the kids, to love on the kids and to work with them. Uh, yes, we will have crowd control. We'll have bouncers for the children. Um, uh, but really would appreciate if you, if you, if you came. This is, uh, man, we... we God's put in front of us some incredible opportunities that we're going after. And in the midst of that, we're going to do a leadership transition that we're excited about and is going to keep us moving towards those things. And so we want to tell you how those things are coming together. All right. The last thing I want to let you know about is um, we, uh, there, there's trouble in Israel. And, um, you know, it's occupying our thoughts and our minds and our hearts. And if you are a student at all of the Bible and prophecy, there's a lot of things around the end times. And the end times refers to a period of time before Jesus' second coming. So we believe he already came, but he's coming back. And so he gave us some, uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, some th here's some things to be looking out for. So is the Israel-Hamas war one of those things? Is it pointing that, oh my goodness, I think the return of Jesus is closer because of these things. And so we're gonna look, um, I'm gonna uh, take a little bit of a dive, give an overview of um, what some of the Bible prophecy says and how this, what's going on, may or may not be connected to that. All right. And so I'm going to do that, though, not on a Sunday morning. I'm going to do that um, via our quarterly devotional. All right. So the devotional will be a little longer. But um, if you are on our uh, mailing list and get our weekly updates and our um, in your email, then you will get that. OK. And it'll be either 
this week or next week that that will be sent out. So if you're not on our mailing list and you want to be because you want to get that, then uh, just put a, write that on a card. I think they're in your seat backs that, uh, hey, you'd like to be on the um, church newsletter and, uh, and we'll make sure that that's sent to you. All right. And so I want you to know that I've been thinking about it and been um, studying it a little bit. And um, I will give you my understanding of what the Bible has to say about the events in Israel and if they're connected um, to the end times. All right. So um, how's your prayer life? <laughs> We've been looking at the Lord's Prayer. And it was a, uh, it was a time where disciples were following Jesus and these were very religious guys. I mean, for the most part that they had grown up in a very um, orthodox uh, Jewish uh, tradition and they were taught from infancy how to pray and they, they, there was rules and guidelines and they were very faithful in it. And so they had been praying their whole life, but then they noticed something's different going on regarding Jesus and how he's praying. And so they go to Jesus and they say, would you teach us to pray like you're praying? And basically the idea is this. It's like most of us in this room, we would say regarding our prayer, no matter how we're doing in it, ah, it can get better. It could grow. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm praying regularly, but I'm really, most of that time, I'm really not connecting to the fact that I'm in the presence of God. And, you know, prayer is basically us connecting with God. And so does your prayer life do that? And, you know, what if God were to, were to come down to us and just say, hey, let me give you some, some clues. This is how I want you to approach me. And this is what I want us to talk about. I mean, that would be helpful, right? And that's what Jesus is saying in the Lord's Prayer. He's saying, okay, let me teach you how to pray. And let me get you to the significant things of the heart that will connect you to God the Father. And so that's what he's doing. And so as, as we're going through this, I know as, um, it's been meaningful to me. I know Tyler shared last week what, how meaningful it was um, to him in growing his prayer journey. Um, and so thank you for Tyler. Thank you for Rick two weeks ago um, to unpack this really rich um, words and thoughts of Jesus to us. So today, here it is. Matthew 6, verse 12, it's just one verse, and this is what it says, it's one line. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's it. Now, here's what's unusual about this line. Jesus never prayed that. Jesus was the only one who never had to pray that. God the Father, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Because God was um, God in the flesh. I mean, Jesus was God in the flesh, God in the bod. And he lived a life we couldn't live. And then he died a death that we should have died for the payment of sins. And so he's saying, um, you never heard me pray this, but I'm telling you, do you want to know how to pray? Ask for forgiveness. Because you're, you're going to need to do this. And you're going to need to do this regularly. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So he wants us to get our head around that. What does it mean? Um, what does forgiveness mean? What does forgiving other people mean? 
All right, and so we're gonna, we're gonna hit both of those. First of all, asking forgiveness means we understand the depth of our need. We understand the depth of our need. And this is a really important point. And so I want us to get our, our heads around it, but also our hearts around it. Because a lot of times we don't like to think about negative things. I don't wanna think about negativity. Let's just move on, let's focus on the good, the positive. I don't wanna get you know, weighed down by the negative. Even my, even my failures that have hurt me and hurt other people, I don't know the benefit of dwelling on those things. I think we you know, just put positive energy forward. And that's a, a common thought today. However that thought can be incredibly short-sighted in regards to forgiveness. And Jesus is saying, you're going to have a need to regularly seek forgiveness from God. It's just, it's just who we are. We, we are um, we're, we're made in the image of God, we believe. There's a lot of great things in us and about us, but there's also um, this flaw, this basic flaw in us that we have a bent towards selfishness and being self-centered. And, uh, you know, these beautiful children that we've been celebrating this morning, little Duke, you know, um, his parents are not going to, like at the age of two, say, Duke, now it's time to learn how to do bad things. Let me teach you how to be selfish. Let me teach you how to throw a fit. Let me, you know, no, it's going to come naturally. It does to all of us. Because as much good as there is in us, there's also this selfish bent. And, and Jesus is saying, that is going to lead you away from trusting in God. It is going to harm your relationship with God. Well, I thought we were forgiven, you know, once for all. Well, we are. We, if we go to God and say, I, I know that I have sinned against you, and I've been relying on myself, and I need to ask for your forgiveness. And I want to trust in what you've done to forgive me. Now, if we do that, God it says God forgives you and adopts you as his own child. So just like our children who are in our family, when they decide they're not going to eat their breakfast and they throw their bowl of cereal on the ground, do we say, oops, no longer my child. You know, you, you are now out of the family and uh, so you're up to, you know, somebody else is going to have to deal with you because you just broke our relationship. No, you say, uh, you are still my child and I love you, but you will be having that spilt cereal for lunch. Um, and so, I mean, there's consequences, but... Uh, our relationship with God is our selfishness and our sin hurts our fellowship with God. It hurts our closeness with God. It does not change the fact that we are a loved child of God. Is that you following that? Important to know. So Jesus is saying, um, be in the practice of recognizing your sin your rebellion against God and bringing that to him and just say, I'm sorry. I mean, what happens when your child comes to you and says, yeah, what I did was wrong, I'm sorry. I mean, you, after you wake up from passing out, you, you, um, you go, oh my gosh, thank you so much. That is so meaningful. And, and it begins repairing that relationship and restoring some hope and, um, and eliminating the stuff that is in between you. 
And so Jesus is saying, um, get ready. You're going, to be doing this, you're going to be doing this on a regular basis. But here's the deal. The grace of God never runs out. You are in need of the grace of God every day. And so recognize the depth of our need. Um, and so when I think of forgiveness in the Bible, one of the most popular passages on forgiveness is Psalm chapter 51, and it is David seeking forgiveness. And so I want to uh, go to that and look at that because I think he really displays um, a right, humble perspective when seeking forgiveness from God. So Psalm 51, verses 1 to 3, in the very beginning, it kind of gives us the context. And it says, uh, to the choir master, the Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And so what had happened, if you're not familiar with the story, David is king. And, um, and so he's all powerful. And kings in those days could basically have whatever they want. And, um, but he knew he wanted something that before God he should not have. And that was um, his good friend's wife. And her name was Bathsheba. And he, um, he had an affair with her. And then to his good friend, who was a warrior and who was in the midst of battle, he sent him into battle and he pulled back the troops so that friend was exposed and killed. And so he has this stuff in his heart knowing. And he's thinking, I'm king. I can do what I want to do. Other kings, you know, and... and countries around me have done, the, have done this and worse. It's within my rights, within our culture. And Nathan comes to him and says, uh, no, what you've done is an offense against God and against others. And, Nathan, and David knew it. He just, it just, I'm exposed. I am totally wrong. And I've known it all along, and I've been sick. I've been physically sick because of it. And I've been carrying this. And now he goes to God. And what he does with God is really beautiful. And so um, verse 1, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know, that, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He's just, you know, what he's doing is he's not minimizing. And he's not rationalizing. And he's not making excuses. He knows, he knows that before God, he has done wrong and he's owning it. A rare thing in his day, a rare thing in our day, but an honoring thing to God. Verse 4. Listen to this. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He's not blame shifting, but he's taking responsibility without qualification, without saying, hey, you know, I am a king, and this is what kings do in my day and age. You know, this is, this is acceptable behavior. But he's saying, no, I'm not, I'm not using community standard. I'm not using my friend's standard. I'm not using the standard of other kings. God, I know that I'm accountable to an audience of one, and it's you. And according to your standard, I have been in rebellion against you. 
And so he says, against you and you only. That's a double, he, he uses the object twice. And in Semitic languages, that was a point of emphasis. It was a point of passion, of intensity, of saying what I am talking about ha- has not only been something I believe, but it is something that is fully encapturing my heart. I mean, another time where I think of this being used is when Jesus was on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was a heartfelt cry to God that in the moment of the sin of the world being placed on him and him being a sacrifice for the sin of the world, he was separated, removed, first time in all of eternity, past or future, where he was removed from um, the intimate relationship of God the Father because the sin of the world was on him. And it just heartfelt, everything he had, my God, my God, why is this happening? And he knew it but he was overcome with the intensity of the moment. And David is overcome with the intensity of what I've done, I've done against you. Now, now let, let's, did he sin against his friend? Yeah. Did he sin against the army? Yeah. Did he sin against the nation? Yeah. Did he sin against his own family? Yeah. I mean, it, it, all those things were impacted by his behavior. Okay, all those relationships, all those people. So why did he say, against you and you only I've sinned? Because he's getting to the fundamental truth of what his sin was about. Now listen to this. Behind our sin is a fundamental sin. Behind every sin, there's, there's another sin. And let me, let me tell you what it is. Um, if, if we just go to the Ten Commandments, okay, Guidelines for Living, First commandment, um, thou shalt have no other gods before me. If you did, if you obeyed that commandment, you'd do the rest of the nine. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not commit adultery. Because when, when I lie to protect my reputation, what I'm saying is I'm taking control of this situation because how people view me is more important to me than how God views me. I'm devaluing the goodness of God and I'm, I'm choosing to trust myself because I don't know if God is trustworthy. How offensive is that to the God who created me who loves me and held nothing back in offering me a relationship with him. It's the sin behind the sin. If I lie at, at work in a, in a job opportunity or a uh, closing the deal and I lie because I'm thinking, you know what, my family needs this money. And if I tell the truth, I might lose it. If I lie, that there's much better chance of me closing this thing, of getting this promotion, of meeting my numbers, and is be good for my family. And God wants me to provide for my family, and so I lie. And so at that moment, the lie behind the lie is I do not trust God to provide for my family. And so I'm going to take things in my own hands. I'm going to manipulate. I'm going to be dishonest. Because... I think I know what's best and I'd rather trust my thinking rather than God's. It's offense, the offense is against God. 
against David is saying, I recognize that. I did these things because I wanted something that I thought I, I wouldn't have if I just trusted you for it. And so against you and you only, I have sinned. The foundation of my sin is I don't trust you and I don't think you're good. So there's our foundation. And what Jesus is saying and what David is saying and other places in the Bible saying is we need to go to God because we recognize our sin is against God and we need to feel that in our heart. You know, my sin wasn't this thing, wasn't this act. It was against you, God, and the fact that I don't trust you. And so I bring that to you. And I admit that. And I ask for forgiveness. I mean, it's it's understanding forgiveness is is understanding the depth of our need. Um, I heard a... uh, a national politician, well-known, um, last couple of weeks, uh, I, I saw the interview, and I don't know when the interview happened, but um, this is a person who was uh, saying that they believe in God and that, that they're religious, and um, so they're being interviewed, and I think it was, I think it was somebody who uh, was a Christian reporter uh, representing a Christian publication, and they were asking him, um, so as a person who believes in God and who's religious, do you ask God for forgiveness? And uh, the politician said, uh, no. He was like, well, why not? And he's like, well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think that way. I, I think if I see a problem, I need to fix it and move on and just not dwell on it. And I think that would be an answer that a lot of people would say, oh, that's not a bad answer. Yeah, don't dwell. Don't let it hold you back. Don't, don't you know, focus on the negative. Here's the problem with that. According to Jesus and according to the Bible, if that's how we treat the problem of our sin, then we don't need a savior. We, we don't need God. Let me just deal with this and I'll move on. It's saying, I, I, I have the power to make things right. I have the power um, to, uh, to undo whatever bad I've done. I have the power to make myself presentable to God. And although that sounds like a good power of positive thinking approach, it is actually forever damning of our soul. Because God said we're in desperate need of him. You know, our sin is more evil than hell itself. Why? Because sin is ultimately just saying, I don't trust you, God, and I don't want to rely on you, and I'm going to live my life trusting myself, not you. And what's the ultimate result of that is hell and eternity getting what we want. An eternity outside of God's presence. Eternity outside of the God who created us to have a relationship with us. And in that relationship, we would realize that we are beautifully and wonderfully made. We are of great value to him. Our identity in him is that we are known and loved. 
we can experience peace and joy in life no, no matter what circumstances come our way because we're connected to our creator who has made us to be in relationship with him. And so if we don't recognize how sin separates us from him, then we will never be grateful for a savior. And so that we're hopeless without recognizing our total need for God and his grace. And his grace will never be beautiful unless we recognize our need. And so forgiveness says, I, I, I understand with, with my depth of my being, and I also understand the greatness of his love and his grace. Psalm uh, 51, 12, David says, restore, me the, restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with your willing spirit, or with a willing spirit. He's saying, um, there was a time where I was so in love with you, God, because I recognized your love and your grace towards me. I recognize your love that, that blows me away, that I am so undeserving of, and yet uh, you forgive me. You, you look at me as pure and clean because of your forgiveness, and um, you're just too overwhelming to, to ultimately understand. And I've lost sight of that. And so that's why he starts out in verse one of 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. He's remembering who God is. You're a loving God. It is steadfast. It comes at me and offered to me every day that I breathe. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. I can never sin so much that your mercy would not cover it. There's never a day, I mean, there's every day is a day where I need the grace of God. And so he's remembering these things. That's why Jesus said, let me tell you how to pray. Start out like this. Our Father, personal, loving, caring, eminent, he's with you. Never be separated. And yet at the same time, who art in heaven, you transcend. You're eminent and yet you're transcendent. You're above all things. You, you created space and time. You are outside of it. Your power is, I mean, there's nothing that you can do that would cause you to lose power and become weak because your power is abundant. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's no one like you. There's one. There is only one, and it's you, God, our creator. Well, we're connecting and correcting our thinking regarding who God is. And then when we do that, we say, oh my gosh, I can trust him. He's trustworthy. And so asking forgiveness means we understand the greatness of his love and of his grace. And we are sober about the significance of our sin. And we are in awe of the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. And so we can walk in confidence, know where we stand with God, and at the same time knowing how undeserving we are of it. It's, it's a beautiful place, and that's how we go to God in forgiveness. Uh, Matthew 6, 12 says, and, for, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Now, for some of you, you don't have problems with the first of this first part, forgive us our sins. The second part, you got some issues with. And this is what Jesus is saying. 
is if you have received the forgiveness of God and you recognize the significance of that forgiveness, that is gonna be a heart transformational experience to where forgiveness leads to forgiving. Forgiveness leads to forgiving. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's not talking about if you forgive other people, then you've earned the right to be forgiven. It's not talking about that. It's saying if you forgive other people from your heart, it's probably because your heart has experienced the forgiveness of God and you're transformed as a result of it. Um, the truth is my sin and your sins, because like, here, here's like sometimes we think, okay, my issues, you know, they're like bad, but not that bad. And I can tell you how I got there. I can tell the influences on my life that, that impacted me to make such a decision. And so what I'm doing when I'm, when I'm thinking that way, I'm devaluing, I'm, I'm um, blame shifting. Sometimes it could be, let me tell you the things that were done to me that made me do this. And so if I go to God with that attitude, I am not asking for forgiveness, I'm complaining. All right, and so God said, I, I see through that. Own what you've done. Own what you've done. And if I own what I've done and I'm forgiven, then um, I'm gonna have a heart that says, you know, it wasn't the Romans that crucified Jesus, it was my sin that crucified Jesus. How bad am I capable of sinning my sin put Jesus on a cross? And he says, I'm willing to forgive you. If I can be, given, be forgiven for crucifying the son of God, then I think I can extend forgiveness to people who've wronged me. I mean, am I allowing that to sink in? Am I allowing myself to feel the weight of the forgiveness that's been offered to me? And so whenever we start talking about forgiveness, I need, I need to really make sure you understand forgiveness versus a lot of other stuff that we, we build as a defense about why I can't forgive. Okay, so forgiveness is not condoning. Forgiveness is not saying what you did to me is okay because I forgive you. No, it's not, it's not the same thing. Forgiveness is not um, holding back circumstances or justice. Okay, if, if somebody's hurt me, um, then I would be foolish to trust them unless for some reason there's a transformation in them that, has, that over time builds trustworthiness. But I can forgive them from the beginning even though I don't trust them. Okay, so I, I'm gonna forgive you, but I'm gonna establish boundaries as far as my relationship with you and your exposure to my family. Those are two different things, okay? Forgiveness is not, I trust you. I mean, you know, for, oh, you, if you forgive, you need to forget, Bill. Isn't that part of the deal? Forgive and forget. I would just tell you that's stupid. 
because um, you don't want to forget because sometimes things have been done to you that um, put you at risk. And if you just said, I'm going to forgive and forget like it never happened, you would be potentially putting you and your family at risk of being hurt again. And that is not wise. That's not forgiveness. Okay. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. A lot of times we get those two things mixed up. Forgiveness is what I do and I'm responsible to do no matter how that person um, owns or doesn't own what they've done. Reconciliation takes two people. It means the person that hurt me probably needs to own what they've done and the, and the consequences of it and ask for forgiveness. But I can extend them forgiveness if they never do that, now it's going to impact my ongoing relationship with them, but I'm not going to be harboring bitterness because I've forgiven them. Not the same as forgiving and forgetting, not the same as condoning, not the same as um, reconciling, and it's not ignoring pain. Sometimes we think, oh, forgiveness means I have to shove down the pain and pretend like it didn't happen. No, that is not good. That is not healthy. We need to feel the pain. We need to step into the pain and deal with it if we are going to find healing. Different than forgiveness. Okay, this is important for us to grab because a lot of people do not forgive because they confuse all those other things with it. But forgiveness is different. Forgiveness is something I can do with my, I can do in my heart to release the person in my own heart from what they've done to me and it releases me from the expectation that I got to get this back. I got I got it in order for me to um, release this from my heart and for my heart to heal. I've got to see a pound of flesh. And so here, um, Matthew 18, if you want to read a passage on forgiveness, this is a great one. We're not going to read it. I'll just tell you about it. Matthew 18, 28 to 35, the disciples are asking Jesus, hey, how often should I, should I forgive somebody? What's real forgiveness like? You know, um, I think I'm really a forgiving person. So how does that look? And so Jesus gives them a parable and it's a, it's a parable of the unforgiving servant. And what it is, is there's a king who has a servant that owes him more than they could ever repay, okay? They have, they have borrowed and borrowed and borrowed and without any mindset of the reality of could I ever repay this? And they are in such a hole that in their lifetime, if they gave them every cent they were ever to make, they would not touch paying back the debt. And the king says, you know, you, you've, you've been out of control. I mean, you are not in touch with reality. I, I'm putting you in prison until this debt is repaid. Well, that, you know, the king is saying, I'm putting you in prison for the rest of your life because the debt can never be repaid. And if you're in prison, the opportunity for you to repay it goes away. And the guy goes, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm stupid. I beg your forgiveness, I beg your mercy. And the king, out of the, just the generosity of his heart says, okay, I wipe out your debt. Your debt is gone, you're a free man. And he leaves the king's presence and he goes out into the streets and he happens to bump into somebody, somebody who owes him money. Not a lot of money, a little money. And he says, 
you owe me money and you haven't paid me. I want it now. And the guy goes, I, I don't have it now. Would you please you know, take mercy on me? Would you, would, you, would you give me more time? And the guy who had just been forgiven by the king says, no, arrest this man, put him in prison until he pays me back. Now, people have seen what has just gone on. And so they go back to the king and saying, says, this guy does not get it. He still doesn't get it. He doesn't get what he's done. He doesn't get what you've done for him. And now he's treating this other person this way. And the king says, arrest him. Don't throw him in prison, but torture him for the rest of his life until he pays me back. So let's, the lesson about forgiveness, where is it in there? You know, nowhere in there does it talk about forgiveness. It talks about debt, about owing, about um, releasing, about uh, paying back, about canceling. It uses all that terminology. And so at the very end, Jesus said, here's the moral of the story. So also my father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Whoa. What he's saying is, do you recognize the debt you had to God? Perfect, holy, righteous God. And when you come to him and say, God, I'm asking for forgiveness as provided through the death of your son. Do you realize the significance of that? If you've experienced that and you've allowed that reality to sink into your heart, what right do you have to hold it back as far as you're forgiving others? This, that's a transformational moment. What's forgiveness? Here, here's the definition of forgiveness according to this parable. Forgiveness is saying, you don't owe me anymore. The king's saying, you don't owe me a penny anymore. I'm wiping it all out. And so in our relationships with one another, I mean, if we have relationships, we're gonna need forgiveness, okay? You put two broken people together who have selfish bents, and it's just a matter of time before one of them hurts the other. We need forgiveness. Forgiveness is saying, who is it that hurt me? And what did they take from me that I think they owe me? My dad had an affair on my mom and it led to divorce. And I grew up without a father in the home. What he did led, and I'm, I'm, this is a, an example. Um, it's not true in my family. Um, I don't want you looking at my mom. What? Uh, um, but in that example, what that father did robbed that child of security, of their perspective of how adult authority in their life act and how they can disappoint and vanish of not having the loving counsel of a dad in the home as, as they grew up going through the difficulties of life, not having an example now of what a good dad looks like. 
And so when this person is thinking about forgiving, they're thinking about, that's been taken from me. And so I extend forgiveness. And you don't owe me those things anymore. You know, if we don't forgive, um, our wounds that are not healed will show up in our relationships with other people. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a back spasm. I remember the first time I had a back spasm, and it wasn't the last. But it was 20 years ago, and I'd been laying sod with a neighbor at, the, at their house. And at the end of the day, I go home, and my back spasms, and I just drop to my knees and can't move. And then after a couple hours, I was able to you know, kind of gingerly walk around, but it is like ready to be triggered at any moment. My daughter Kelsey comes home from school, has no idea that this has gone on. Out of the corner of my eye, I see her running to me and jumping in midair. And she didn't know I had pain. She didn't know my hurt and my wounds that were not healed fully. But she got a lot from her dad that she didn't deserve. Our unhealed wounds impact those we love and they will keep impacting those we love. We need to learn to forgive. Here's how you do it. You recognize the depth of your need for forgiveness from God. You know, when he was on the cross and he was looking at the Roman soldiers and he was looking at the Jews that were mocking him and, um, and he was looking at you. And he was looking at me and saying, I'm up here because of Bill's selfishness in not trusting God the Father. Of Bill's constantly saying, I'm going to ignore you even though I know what you want me to do because I think I know better for me. And he told Peter, at any moment, I could call 10,000 angels down and be relieved of this. But he's looking at you and he's looking at me and he's looking at our selfishness and our sin against God and he chose to stay on the cross. Why? Because he loves you and he wants you to have a chance to be forgiven. And so he said, if you will trust my payment for you, you don't owe me anymore. That's the forgiveness we've been given. And so now think about those who've hurt you. I'm not saying I'm trusting them, not saying I'm gonna go on business with them, not saying I'm inviting them over to my house for dinner. It's not saying any of those things. It's saying, are you willing to release them in your own heart from what you think they've stolen from you. And to say, God, before God, I release this. They don't owe me that anymore. And you can step into your pain. You can step into healing. But you just extended forgiveness in a way that you've received from God. And so as we wrap up, I just want to give you a, I just want to give you a chance to uh, pray and talk to God. 
And uh, one of the things he says is, come to me and seek forgiveness. And maybe some of you today are going, I have, I have not ever gone to God understanding the depth of my need and just say, I trust in you alone for my, for my forgiveness and to give me a relationship with God that, will, that you adopt me as your child. And maybe that's, today's the day you do that. For others, maybe there's been things in your life that you've been, um, you've been devaluing, you've been making excuses about, you've been um, justifying according to, hey, that's, you know, my friends would do the same thing, but you know it's a sin against God and you haven't dealt with it. I mean, own it. Go to God and own it. And recognize the sin under the sin is that you have sinned against a God who loves you and made you and made you for a relationship with him and is loving and trustworthy and you haven't trusted him. Or maybe you need to forgive somebody. Who? Name the person. And then tell God what they took from you. Here's what they took from me and what I've always felt they owe me. And are you willing to say you don't own me or you don't owe me anymore. And that doesn't mean that there's not a price to be paid. It just means that you paid it. God says there's a price to be paid for sin and I will pay it for you. And forgiving people like God forgave you means the price to be paid that was taken from me, I will pay it. I'm stopping the pain. You don't owe me that anymore. So let's take a moment and let's pray and let's do business with God. Our loving, gracious, caring, personal Father, who is also in heaven, who is above all transcendent, almighty, all-knowing, who in your sovereignty 
is maneuvering amidst the chaos of this world to give people opportunity to know and see you. Hallowed is your name. There is no one like you. There is nothing I can affix my heart to that would ever meet the needs of my soul other than you. Father, I thank you that your, your grace and forgiveness is, oftened, or is, is offered every day. And I thank you that you're a, an eager, loving father who looks forward to our relationship being clean and clear. I thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercies. And I thank you for your guidance in the midst of a confusing world where it's hard to think straight that you give us truth that cuts through the fog. Thank you for that. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen. If you prayed along with me this morning and you made a decision to trust in Jesus um, or you are on that journey, you know, and, and it's like, you know you're taking steps, you know God is drawing you to him, but there's just more questions and more, you know, just things in your mind that it's just not resting well yet. If, um, if you would like to talk to somebody or bring your questions to somebody, um, as soon as we're done, right in the middle, out in the courtyard, not the courtyard, the atrium, there's some desks in the middle there. And if you made a decision to follow Jesus, would you, would you let them know if you um, are on that journey and you would love just to sit down and have a frank conversation with somebody who'd be willing to listen to you and understand where you're at, um, they would love to do that. And so as soon as we're done, you can go out there and, and talk to them. If you're online and watching us and that is you, then um, go to rollinghills.org slash next steps. And let us know what's on your heart and uh, let us know how we can connect with you. And we'd love to do that as well with you. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for taking the time to uh, come to God as a, as a family together and uh, to remember who he is and how good he is and that he's trustworthy.